Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and we are going to have a really interesting show today. We're going to be talking about turning tough situations into gifts for those that are affected um, next living with dementia. Um, you know, it's it's not always an easy road, but it's so nice when someone shares what they've learned on that process, and that's what we're really going to focus on today because there are so many beautiful gifts wrapped in caring for someone uh, with with a form of dementia. Now, if you liked our opening music, I do want to point out that was, that is called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can go ahead and download that anywhere. And for some of you that might be new listeners around the world, um, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people at all ages and stages and levels of organizations and businesses around the world. So um, here you will hear from people living with dementia. You will hear from care partners. You will hear from a variety of business professionals, researchers, advocates, and so much more. We are live today, so if you have any questions pertaining to this topic or comments, you can call in at 323 323- Eight seven zero four six zero two. That's three two three eight seven zero four six zero two. And we also have a main website. We're more than just a podcast. We really are an educational and resource platform. So you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com. There you will find um, one whole section that is uh, free free resources that you can tap into. So please go there. Um, you will find anything from resource tools uh, to dementia chats where you're going to hear the voices um, of those living with the disease, to arts and dementia. We've got a poetry and article section. Maybe you're interested in becoming dementia friendly or you've heard about memory cafes and many other things, including Dementia Map, which is our uh, global resource directory uh, that you can check out by just going to DementiaMap.com or you can get there through our free resources as well. Uh, Also, we have a new tab on our site and that is labeled book. Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care is finally becoming a children's book. We've had so many requests for that because that has been a keynote of mine for many, many years. And uh, we finally put that together and we are doing um, pre-orders right now, but that will be hitting hitting the press fairly quickly. So feel free to 
check out that page. I'm still building it, so it, it isn't everything's not perfectly in order, but uh, you know, it'll give you basic information there. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and then we're going to be right back with our guest. I love the foot bar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Wonderful. Well, we are back, and I'm so excited to introduce you to uh, Johanna Hernandez. She knows what it's like to be a dementia you know, care partner because she's been one herself. She knows that it can be one of the most difficult and yet most joyful, rewarding jobs um, that you can ever have the privilege of holding because she cared for her own grandfather. She has learned many things on that journey, and now her goal is to provide education to care partners while reminding them to care for themselves. So welcome, Johanna. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I am I am thrilled that you're with us. Um, we got to talk a, a little bit prior, and I was just so interested in in all you're doing. I always, you know, ask every one of my guests if they've been touched in their own family or circle of friends. And I mentioned that your grandfather has, um, but was there anyone else in your family? Or if you want to tell us a little bit more about about your grandpa and honor him. Yeah, luckily we have not been affected with anyone else within the family. Um, so it was just my grandfather, and he actually, my mom was actually his primary caregiver. Um, I was his power of attorney. Um, my brothers also helped with um, caring for him, so it was really like a family effort all around. Um, I would go on the weekends to kind of help my mom with a little bit that I could, and also I would try to get her out of the house to do some self-care stuff, um, get her nails done, let's go out to eat, let's go for a walk, um, window shopping, whatever. Um, but my grandfather um, was living by himself for a while, a long while, actually, and um, all of a sudden he was living in a, in a building with elderly people, um, but it was all independent, and he... Um, started forgetting his keys, he started um, forgetting things on the stove, he would fall asleep. Uh, the fire department was there numerous times, and the building finally, you know, talked to us and said, um, he, you know, he can't stay here, it's a safety concern. 
Um, so we had to make a decision in bringing him in, and he agreed to it because he didn't want to go to a facility. But at that time, um, we were in a community that was um, primarily Hispanic, um, not a lot of resources in that area or that we knew of, um, and we really at that time didn't know anything about dementia. Um, just on a side note, I'm a nurse now, um, but at that time I was not a nurse. And so um, we ended up uh, struggling for a, a long time. I, I remember my mom, you know, um, having very hard moments, um, long discussions, and sometimes just crying or upset because he would take a lot of things out on her. Um, so it was really challenging, and um, once we got some resources, we found out she ended up having to leave her job to stay with him full-time, and we had to get other family members to help with assisting also. So we found out an agency, and then we got some education. He had to get uh, his doctor recommended a neurologist who explained um, exactly what dementia was because before that, we were like, oh, he's just old. Mm-hmm. So that's normal. He's just old, and we just didn't know. Um, and then, you know, it, it proceeded from there. Um, I mostly controlled all his health um, his health uh, questions or anything that needed to be addressed and his financial um, stuff every month. And then uh, everybody else primarily did everything else because they were living in that area. I was an hour and a half away, so when I would get off of work, on the weekends, I would try to head up there as much as I could um, until he finally um, passed away. He he passed away at home on home hospice. Um, so we got to see all, all of the stages um, with him living with us, which was definitely different. Um, and a sight. It, it was difficult because now I learned, you know, what the grieving process is and the stages of grief and um, now, as of recently, I started saying it's crazy because you go through the grieving process with someone with dementia twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never thought about it like that until recently um, when somebody stated to me, you know, I'm losing my mom and she's still here. Um, and that's when I realized it then. So, yeah, that's the, that's the story. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. It's always nice to hear, um, and not necessarily nice to hear that you were struggling, but for our listeners, Mm -hmm. it really gives them comfort a lot because you Mm -hmm. feel like you're the only one out there dealing with this so often. Mm -hmm. And and that's something I hear, and it sounds like you hear that too from people. And so the more we can all share our stories, the better off we all are because we we all have information that can help somebody else, even when we feel like we don't know, you know, diddly swats about what we're doing or what we should do next. You have learned through trial and error. And even if you've done some things that haven't worked, those things are helpful for people as well. And it's not something that you should be embarrassed about because you're out there trying, you know, to, to improve the world. Let's talk about, how the lack of, of kind of knowledge and, and resources impacted you um, to even step into this space. I know, I know it did me too, but it's always nice to hear somebody else's story and, and kind of how they, how they landed here. Right. So um, I, so at that time, like I said, we were in primarily a Hispanic area. It was a lower income community. 
Um, and it, there was really no resources that we knew of. We were uneducated on it. So we never saw any representative or any signs or anything about, you know, the Alzheimer's Association or having to talk to someone in the community that also was experiencing the same thing that we were experiencing. Um, the crazy part about it was that my mom was a CNA. Um, and so she used to see it at that time frequently, but she was in denial in the sense of that this is dementia. Um, I was not in the health field at all at that time. So I didn't know anything about it. Um, and even with that experience and that education my mom had, we didn't know where to turn. Um, we went to his doctor, and originally his doctor was like, you know, it's just, no, it's just normal aging. It's the normal aging process. But when the, the building told us that we had to take him because it was a dangerous uh, situation now, you know, we did go back, and they did give us a referral to the neurologist from the neurologist is where we learn where to go for other research in learning what dementia was. Mm-hmm. Um, even with that, I didn't know that dementia was, you know, that the association was open for 24 hours a day, um, that you were able to talk to anyone at any time. I also didn't know that there was resources within the community and um, smaller agencies that will actually help with caregiving for someone and will pay them or send somebody out to care for them in the home. Um, We just, we didn't know. Um, So eventually uh, we ended up uh, talking to someone who was using a, a company and my mom knew about it and then she got the information that she needed, and then we made a call, and I set everything up, and we were able to get some more resources. From that point on, our doors just opened because at that point, we had a point of contact. We had someone to talk to. He had a case manager that we were able to talk to on a regular basis and say, hey, this is what we need. Um, So it kind of alleviated some of that stress within the family. That makes a huge difference, and and it is so true. You don't know what you don't know until someone mm-hmm. you know tells you or directs you, and so you just you, you just feel lost in the woods, you know, and and yes. kind of <laughs> overcome, and mm-hmm. and it's really sad. I know the lack of of resources and connections for me is what made me start. Alzheimer speaks. It was just like, yes, <laughs> we've got to do a better job. There's got to be a better way. And then I was shocked to learn how mm-hmm. many services, products, and tools and people are out there going through all of this. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, when you said you weren't giving the Alzheimer's Association, you know, we, we didn't know about them either. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've just heard rave reviews from, especially now with the, the um, 24-7, you know, response. And I, and I believe they have, like, social workers and things answering the phones now yeah. and, um, it just uh, people have told me over and over that's just been a, a, a total lifeline, you know, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when did that's you funny realize- because that's when I oh. got into um, uh, into getting the training for dementia. Because later, um, I, when I became a nurse, I went into uh, a facility. It was one of my first jobs, and I ended up being in a memory care unit. And um, I remember the lack of education with the staff even. Um, And one day I happened to see this flyer to get certified in dementia. And 
I said, well, let me give it a try. And I learned so much with that seminar. Um, I actually took it a couple times um, Mm -hmm. because it's just I learned so much each time. Um, And I continued with that um, certification, and I actually went all the way to being a trainer for the same reason. That's why I decided to open um, Puzzle Mind and Body because I wanted to be able to provide education for um, caregivers, uh, like free resources they to use. I also offer, you know, paid resources, but um, I do provide a lot of free education because it's just there's such a huge lack of, of education. I'm, like, constantly on social media posting whatever I can just because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I do the same thing, and not everybody can afford to be putting money hand right. over fist. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. other needs that come up, or there might be loss of mm-hmm. income within the family. I, I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, you kind of go over and over again. I do want to remind listeners, um, if you have a question or a comment, please feel free to call in. That number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. So when did you, you know, realize that, that caring for yourself became an important factor in this, in this whole caring <laughs> for others? Because I think so well, many people don't recognize that. I know I was one of those. <laughs> yeah. So um, I actually never thought of myself because I was never the primary caregiver um, I was very, we are a very close family. Like, we, we are very close. We talk every single day. And it was the same when my grandfather was here. So I knew everything that was happening. But I wasn't physically there, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But I saw my mom going through the stress of being a caregiver um, and realized, okay, she needs help. She needs assistance. I didn't realize how much of a toll it was taking on me to help my mom care for herself or to worry about her even um, until actually the the day that my grandfather was passing. Well, it was like a few days. So when I got the call that he was already starting the, the process, um, my mom called me and asked me to come. Um, that night I, I got off of work. I didn't go. Um, the next morning I was supposed to go to my mom, but I couldn't get there. I, I just couldn't do it yet. So, and this is, if my mom's listening, this is the first time she's ever hearing this. But I actually decided to go to a yoga class. And I took two yoga classes back-to-back because I was already active doing it to mentally prepare for what I was going to be walking into Um, because I just couldn't, I couldn't face it. So I, I did my two classes. I did some meditation, I got in my car, and I drove, and I stayed there the rest of the time. I think it was like a week or a week and a half that I was out there. Um, and and that's when I realized that I had to take care of myself before I was able to take care of anybody else mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't do it. I, I just knew at that moment I was not going to be able to do it because I knew how close-knit we were, how hard it was going to be on everyone, including myself. So... I needed to mentally prepare myself for that. And and that's the first time I realized that I needed to. I didn't think that I had that much stress on me um, at that time until that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is funny. It, 
for I think so many, it's kind of the crash and burn moment, <laughs> you know, where yeah. you're up against the wall and you, and then you're like shocked, like what happened? And then you look back and go, oh, it it didn't yeah. just happen. It's been happening. And, um, yeah. it, you know, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's one of those things we have to be really, really careful of because if we aren't careful with how we care for ourselves, you know, we're not going to be able to care well for somebody else. And we all know that we all understand that. And yet mm-hmm. I still think most people don't <laughs> slow down and go, okay, this right. is really, really important. And this isn't just, um, this isn't just talk. Um, this has, this has some major, major impact, you know, with it all. How did you um, come up with the, the name for your company? <laughs> So when I went for my dementia training, um, when I was doing the train the trainer um, uh, program with them, I they asked us to do a pamphlet, and I said okay, and they said come up with your own name, do do a pamphlet. They they wanted a sample of it, and I'm sitting there thinking like I don't even know how to like what to call it, and then I said well you know the mind is like a puzzle. And I said, well, you know, I think I'm just going to say Puzzled Mind. Originally, that's what it was going to be. But as time progressed, um, that, that's how I came out with that part of the name. As time progressed, I learned more about the holistic view. So I, I really got into heavy um, learning the holistic world. And I got into Reiki and yoga, meditation. And I started um, becoming trained in those fields. So I'm a yoga instructor, a Reiki um, master teacher. I am currently finishing up my uh, meditation coaching um, certification, and I'm actively uh, doing an aromatherapy course to become an aromatherapist. So I said, well, that's part of the body. It's just the whole, the whole body. It's a holistic. So I ended up adding that to it because I wanted to combine it for the caregiver. My main concern is not only for people living with dementia is also for the caregivers. So I said, well, puzzle mind and body is perfect because we're taking care of the mind, educating the mind, and also taking care of our bodies. And that's how I decided to come up with it. It's a a great name. It's a great name. And I love (laughs) that you you incorporate the holistic side too, you know, with that. I, I think that there is so much value in that and just uh, you know the the social connection, the belief that there are things that we can do for ourselves, um, you know, to to help with this disease process, and and I think many times people, you know, just go, well, I I need a pill, and it's like a pill would be nice, you know, we'd all love to have a <laughs> pill and just make mm-hmm. it go away, but you know, typically with, with any illness, it's not going to just be a pill. And some of these lifestyle changes can just be absolutely, you know, huge in terms of, of what we can, what we can do to have, you know, more control over our our mind and and body and, uh, and things. Do you do stuff with, with art at all or? No, no. I would love to connect with someone that does, but no, not currently. Okay. Yeah, because I know that, you know, so much of the, the arts is really helpful for for people as well on that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how dementia, you know, affects a loved one, and then we'll kind of get into, you know, what are some of the, the hardships and the gifts um, that 
that family can see uh, when dementia knocks at their door? Yeah, so <laughs> the it is definitely challenging for um, the person living with dementia in the beginning because in the beginning, the person that, that is diagnosed with dementia realizes that something's wrong. Sometimes they're in denial, sometimes they're not. Um, but the frustration and the anger comes into play at that point um, because they are they know that, that something's wrong. Um, as time progresses, I think it's more affecting the caregiver and family rather than the person living with dementia or just a dementia person just because they, at that point, by the time the family's starting to get involved, the, the mind is slipping away. Um, it gets to the point that they don't remember anything, but their loved one is there having to deal with that part and they're forgetting their name, forgetting who they are, thinking that they're being poisoned. And it's very hard on someone um, who's a caregiver. For example, I remember one day my mom was, I was there for the weekend and she was taking care of my grandfather, was giving him lunch. It was leftovers from the night before because she was getting ready to start cooking dinner. And so he's, screamed at her, no, that you're poisoning me. And it was always that she was doing something to him, which she took very good care of him. And so I remember her coming down like, I can't do this. You need to figure out what you're going to do with your grandfather. I can't do it anymore. We waited a few minutes, and I took it up to him. And I gave him the food. And, and um, in Spanish, uh, uh, grandfather's abuelo. And I said, abuelo, like, I worked so hard in cooking this for you, and Mommy said, you don't want this. And he's like, oh, no, honey, I'll eat it. And he ate the whole thing. He had coffee. He had juice. He, and everything was fine. It was just towards my mom because she was the primary caregiver. And that, it wears down on them. It, it really, really does. And I didn't realize it until she started having neck pain, spine pain, muscle pain. And she was constantly complaining that something was wrong and here – kind of find out it's just the normal stress of what was happening well, not normal because it's not normal it's just something that was happening to her and she just didn't know how to handle it her body was handling it for her mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and you know people having you know hallucinations or delusions is so mm-hmm. common where they're seeing a whole different reality than what they are and that that can be something that they hear something that they see something that they smell I mean and yeah. and you know, families, we don't know about all that kind of stuff. Nobody talks about that until you're at your wit's end and maybe you finally get a doctor that can explain it to you. And, and that's why, you know, being able to connect with, with professionals and other other people who are dealing with this. Um, and to me, that means both um, those living with dementia, they have a lot to say and mm-hmm. can teach us a ton yeah. as, as well as yeah. other you know, families uh, that are out there as well. Um, you know, it's, it is a really difficult thing to balance. When, you know, and I, and I was glad that you said, too, that, you know, as the disease progresses, you know, the, I hate to call it the burden of care, but it, it really kind of falls more on the family member than the person mm-hmm. living with the disease. And in the early stages, I mean, they worry significantly mm-hmm. about those that are caring for them and their their loved ones and how this is impacting mm-hmm. them. 
And and yet we all know eventually, because again, this is something that's not told to us, the more the person living with dementia is stressed, the more symptoms typically they're going to have. And so, right. you know, when, when my mom got kind of past that stage of worrying about things and then she kind of went into like a paranoid state um, it, where she just didn't trust a lot of people. Um, after mm-hmm. that, then she got to a really pretty peaceful place. And everyone's mm-hmm. journey is different, so I'm not trying to say everyone's journey is just going to be just like my mother's because, mm-hmm. um, it, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is different. But as as a care partner for her, that just gave, allowed me to kind of breathe a sigh of relief because I felt like she wasn't, and again, I don't really like using the word suffering, but, you know, she wasn't battling mm-hmm. this disease anymore. She wasn't trying to fix it. She wasn't worried about being embarrassed or doing something wrong or, you know, all of those things that just can weigh on a person living with dementia at times. And did you, with your grandpa, did you kind of feel a sense of relief once he got to that point too? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know if I did actually because he was never um, an angry person, and it's funny mm-hmm. that you said that with stress, you, you'll start seeing the changes even more, because we didn't know that either, and my grandfather um, was always, even when he had that dementia, um, he was always up with us in the morning. Um, I was already older, but I have little brothers that were going to school at that time, and he watched them leave the, home, the house to go to school. Um, and I remember that he fell. Um, he was just turning around and was getting ready to walk up the stairs and fell and broke his hip. We mm. ended up taking him to the hospital, and we saw such a decline, and we had no idea why. We, we just we didn't know. And so <laughs> my mom, and they took him for surgery. We, we left to get something to eat. We said, we'll come back later. And when we come back, they have him in a one-to-one. And we were like, what in the world? Why? And they're like, oh, he was aggressive. He was violent. And we were like, oh, is it the anesthesia? They said, well, maybe, but he also has dementia, and, you know, this is it. And he he was fine with us. It was towards the staff that he was really angry. And we just couldn't believe it because my grandfather was very, like, he wasn't an angry person that way um, or violent. And so... Um, when my when he progressed, um, he was always good with all of us, and he had his moments. He had more good moments with my mom, but he always gave my mom a hard time. Always, mm-hmm. always, always, always gave her. He he just wanted to give her a run for her money. She actually he he would do things and just start laughing because he thought it was funny. It was just like uh, like I I I got you mad. Uh, it worked. Um, and I would tell her, Ma, stop letting him like get to your head because this is what he's doing. Just laugh about it. Um, and we kept seeing that, but it was never towards anybody else but my mom. So my mm-hmm. mom still saw that part that he was just fighting and everything. For us, um, honestly, there was times that he he needed a bath, and my mom was trying to give it, and he wouldn't do it. And I'm like, I will. You have to go. If you don't go, I'm gonna put you in myself. And he was like, Fine, I'll go. And then he was fine. But it was always my mom. My mom was the target all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the way it goes. That there can yeah. be 
a target. The primary might, person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they could, mm-hmm. you know, recognize certain people differently. Um, I'll never forget mm-hmm. when I was younger, a neighbor of ours, uncle, had dementia, and and they were very good friends, Patty and Bruce. And he, and, and Bruce was a tall guy, but, you know, back in the day had long hair. And he would always refer to her as, what was it, the, the lady at the bus station. <laughs> and they never mm-hmm. knew why or the train station or something, but that's who Bruce was. And he was very comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, being around that person. And so it was one of those things where you realize that, you know, it's not what they call you. It's really, you know, how how are they feeling around you? How are you making them feel? But, right. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard when you're a target and you feel like you're trying so hard to do what's best mm-hmm. for them. And uh, getting attacked, that can be just emotionally just grueling, you know, on, on mm-hmm. somebody's heart with that. And, and mm-hmm. again, things that a lot of times aren't talked about that we get to look forward to. And, and I think sometimes they think if they tell us these things, you know, we'll, we'll get worried and paranoid, but you know, there's this sense of being prepared and to know that it's normal um, mm-hmm. it gives a lot of solace, I think too. And I think it depends on how it's delivered. You know, like like there's some books out there that have this, so many things, and people look at them and go, oh, my gosh, all these things are going to happen. And it's like, <laughs> no, not all, not all of them. This is just how they can crop up. And, and mm-hmm. every single person with dementia is going to be different. And every single care partner is going to react a little bit different. And, you know, the environment can change how we react, the the people in our yeah. surroundings, all of those things. You know, somebody can be really calm and then somebody walks in the room and an attitude changes. And we, go, oh, that's mm-hmm. and, and we go, oh, that's dimension. It's like, well, how many times have you walked into a meeting and, you know, the whole atmosphere changes because you or someone else walked in, you know, or or family mm-hmm. or friends. I mean, that isn't just dementia. That is something I think that we don't talk about in terms of our nonverbal communications and how things are interpreted. And yeah. those things those things still happen when someone has dementia. And yet we are kind of taught to believe, well, they, they can't read the room anymore. And my sense, mm-hmm. and I'd love to know yours, I think they read the room even better because, you know, when other senses slip, I think others pick up. But what are your thoughts oh, yeah. on that? <laughs> I agree 100%. My my grandfather was one of those people, even before that he could always tell you who anybody was or, you know, he would you could tell what kind of environment he was in at all times. And so when he got um, dementia, he was able to, anytime you would approach him with anything, he you see the look in his eyes just completely change. And you're like, oh, here we go. Um, and it was always with a particular person or something that might have happened, or he might have remembered something that happened many years ago um with someone or confusing that person with someone but instantly if that if someone walked in the room and that person had a, a bad vibe energy whatever or maybe they just got in an argument with someone and then came in oh he felt that 100 percent. and that was one of the things i mainly focused on when i went into facilities um and i was working in facilities was you need to keep your mood stable 
whatever is happening at home has to stay at home. When you come here to to be with these people, you have to treat them as a person. Forget about what happened in your home. You have to deal with what you have in front of you and change your mood, approach them with a smile because they they read all that. They really do. And, and don't scream at them. They're not deaf. They, mm-hmm. they can hear you just fine. Just speak to them like a person. Um, and it just, it, it took a long time for me to learn that. I just learned that with experience because like you said, they don't teach you that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just learned that as I was surrounded by it more and more frequently because then I made sure that most of the jobs that I've taken have always been related to someone living with dementia. It always was in the memory care unit or going for training or doing whatever it was, but I I focused on dementia and it was because of that, because of caregivers. I I I worked in a facility that, you know, uh, people, dementia, you forget things and you might think that you're reverting back to some time ago. And I had a, a aide that told the person kept asking for her husband, and she told him told her your husband died years ago. Oh, well, she just went through the whole process of grieving and learning that her husband was dead, like if it just happened, because yep. this person wasn't trained. And it's the first time I physically saw that. I've heard it, I taught it, but I was physically me seeing that. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, this is no, <laughs> uh, and I I reinforce the education even more. Um, but you definitely feel the energy and 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 the attitude with people. They feel it and they will continuously uh, react to it. They will. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is so true. I mean, we learned that with with my mom as well. And it was it was kind of it it took us back because you know my dad had passed away. And even at the funeral, it was interesting. People were like, wow, your mom's doing really, really great. And my mom was always really social. She kind of cared for everybody, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so she was making sure everyone was okay with their grief at the at the funeral and the service. And, you know, I had to explain to people, she's not connecting that that's her husband in the casket. Right. You know, that's she's, not what she remembers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... And, and I was so thankful of that, you know, so she, mm-hmm. she went and she was gracious and she interacted and she felt purposeful and all of those things. But I thought, oh my gosh. But then afterwards, you know, she would start asking where was dad? And in the beginning, again, no one told us. So we would say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, dad passed away. And then you'd see that over and over again. And then we mm-hmm. kind of decide as a family we weren't going to do that. And then somebody would slip and, you know, it be repeated mm-hmm. or a staff person might um, as well. And your heart just breaks, you know, because breaks. our reality is not theirs. And like mm-hmm. I never told I never told my mom I got divorced. You know, my brother, mm-hmm. um, you know, there there were things in their lives, too. They never told my mom because it would be she you couldn't explain to her why. And, you know, mm-hmm. my mom, all, my, my parents always loved my husband and, you know, that would have just been devastating, you know, for her. And he would mm-hmm. still come visit and things. And that wasn't an important right. factor because it was really about was she safe? You know, was she, you know, pain free? Was she, was she comfortable? And, right. um, and, and I think when we, you know, focus on that emotional side, we give care so much better. And and I think sometimes we have to put up kind of a, 
a tough little wall to block those that might attack us for doing that because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And and some right. of them just don't don't want to. They think it's a lie either. to that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I had one person when I was out um, speaking saying because I would call them like a fiblet, um, you know, kind of that that little white lie. And they said, mm-hmm. "Well, I couldn't do that. You know, I was raised Catholic, and da 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 da." da. And they just kind of ring me up one side and down another. And I said, "I'm not going to say that you have to do it. I'm just going to say it will probably bring your mom a lot more peace if you're able to do that." Um, but mm-hmm. she she just thought I was the worst person in the world, you know, for doing yeah. that because that was going to go against her religion and how she was brought up. And you know what I what I tell try to explain to people is it's kind of like when you tell somebody that, you know, they're never going to have to move to um, a community or nursing home or wherever they land memory care. You said that and you believed it at the time, you know, the circumstances were different and Mm -hmm. you, you have to realize um, you have to kind of let go of that guilt and, and realize that things have changed. And, you know, we're the only ones that can really accept that things have changed, you know, because we do have that ability. We do have our, our cognitive abilities to still logic, but it's hard when emotions get in the way. It's, it's really, really a difficult thing to do uh, for so, mm-hmm. for so many. Um, well, remember you, you also going through the grieving process, which is the thing out process. Yeah. And even though you see that that part is um, what needs to happen, you're not believing that that's what needs to happen because, how could that be? There's no yeah. way. I still see my person there. They're still talking to me. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very hard. Yeah. So for you, uh, you know, what helped you as, a, as an individual and a family member survive this process, you know, of, of caring? What were some of your favorite things that you that you learned or were able to tap into along the way? Um, so one of my favorite things that I was able to learn um, at that point was um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was doing yoga um, every week, and I and I focused on doing that. Um, but I did, I was just learning what yoga was, and I thought it was just you know body movements and stretching and. That was it. Didn't realize it was a lot more, um, but I didn't realize how impactful it was on me during that time. Um, but I knew that I had to do it. But at the same time, it was really um, laughing. I, I had uh, my grandfather had a sense of humor, um, luckily, and he still had the sense of humor even until he passed. Um, so we would go and we would joke and we would laugh, and we we. Tried and and I say my mom and my mom and my grandfather like my grandfather was very difficult with my mom but even with my mom we had such a great time with my grandfather and tried to experience the best that we could with him um, for the ability that, the the time that we had him and for the holidays we always always did it at my mom's house because we knew we couldn't get him out the house so mm-hmm. we that really got us through it because there was no way we were going to leave him behind uh-huh. um, so we will always come to my mom and we always had a good time my brothers I, when he couldn't come down the stairs anymore my brothers would bring him down and he would sit with us and all the grandkids and the great grandkids and um he had a, a good old time um and and we we have a lot of pictures of everyone um 
for the holidays. We were always together. Uh, but it was always something that, that was very near and dear to me, and it always felt um, it, it made it easy to have that mm-hmm. that support um, for all of us. I, I and and I think and I'm speaking for everyone in my family. It's just it made it so much easy easier to just laugh and and enjoy the time. Um, and the other aspect was um, once like we got a case manager and we got to learn what dementia was and what resources we had out there. Um, there are uh, agencies that paid a loved one for caregiving. There are agencies that will send out someone. There are agencies that will help you with Meals on Wheels, so they'll bring food to you. They'll, um, if you can't afford it, they will. Um, they have agencies that will drop off your medications, prepackaged. Uh, that we just learned so much, and it's the little simple things that made it so much easier for everyone. And the last thing I learned was the importance of the power of attorney um, when it came down to that piece, uh, because I didn't know what power of attorney was. And mm-hmm. one of the agencies that he had says, who's his power of attorney? And we all looked at each other like, what is that? And mm-hmm. they explained it, and we all made the consecutive decision that it would be me. And I was more than happy to take the responsibility uh, on doing that. And... We, I, I took it on, and I took it on with pride. My grandfather agreed because he was still at that at that time. He was in and out, but we made sure that he was with it at that time when he was able to sign the paperwork. And I and he was good. He was happy with me being the person. So it, it just made it. It just made that process so much smoother. Um, having that in place as well, which I didn't know. <laughs> Well, why don't we, you know, I can't believe how fast the hour always goes and I, I should know better. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but I but I want to make sure that we highlight what you offer people through your company at um, Puzzled Mind and, and Body. Well, I thank you. I actually um, work with caregivers. I uh, have a support group online on in Facebook called Puzzled Mind and Body. Um uh, caregiver support group, the mental caregiver support group. But um, my main focus is education because you're never going to care for yourself first. You're just not going to do it um, because you're stressed about not knowing. So my main goal is to provide education. So I do provide short webinars, um, uh, handouts, PDF um, by email. I send it out. Um, or did you knows, um, checklists, things like that. Um, webinars, I do free webinars as well. Um, and then with pay services, I do um, the seminars and trainings. Um, I also um, am working this year coming up to post some videos for uh, 10 to 20 minute meditations, 10 and 20 minutes um, of yoga, just because I know an hour might be too long for a, a caregiver. That might be too, they, they can't afford to do an hour worth of caring for themselves. They might only be able to do 10 minutes at a time. So I'm going to try to post some of that stuff up there too for free uh, resources um, and connect them to whatever resources and answer the questions, whatever it is that they need. Um, I do have paid resources such as uh, Reiki, um, longer yoga, um, one-on-ones, consultations, um, and the trainings, meditations, and things like that. Um, everything's mm-hmm. on the website. And my website is growing all the time. I add things all the time. 
Wonderful. And now you have a, an upcoming event on January 14th, it looks like, um, an online Alzheimer's disease <laughs> and dementia care seminar, which is going to be an all-day thing from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, Central Time. Yes. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, too? Okay. So that is actually my dementia seminar. It's the original seminar that I started out with. Um, you can, um, if you qualify, you can become a certified dementia practitioner. And basically, it's just going to say that you have a little bit more education and can assist um, with questions and any uh, uh, issues that you might run into. Um, but it's an all-day seminar. It's Starts from the beginning, um, gets you through all the stages, talks about behaviors for um, uh, people with dementia. It talks about techniques and tips to help uh, transition processes, um, deal with behaviors at that moment. Um, So it it touches on a lot of life, and then it goes into um, learning what the power of attorney is, hospice um, options, what it is exactly, and what does it um, include along with palliative care, respite care, um, and different things like that. Wonderful. And then you you also have a resource section in there. You've got the Alzheimer's Association. You've got information mm-hmm. on yoga and meditation and um, Reiki. But then you also have a couple of movies listed here, The Father, Still Alice, Concussion. Um, I remember watching mm-hmm. Concussion when I was on the road speaking, and I think I watched it three times, and I got so yeah, angry, I think, yeah. I got so angry that this was hidden, mm-hmm. um, and I just I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I had to go back yeah. and, and watch it again. Um, there's another yep. one that might, that might be of interest called Ice Cream in the Cupboard, and you can access that one through um, through Amazon. And um, Pat, I, I can't think of his last name. I'm, I'm losing it right now. But uh, this is a basically a real story about he and his wife who had dementia, and it's a it's an inside look of behaviors that a lot of times aren't talked about and can be kind of scary. Uh, and how a family had to deal with it, and how hard they tried to to find support and and things. Um, but just a, an excellent excellent um, movie and I think you can access that uh, through Amazon on a link for free if I'm not mistaken on that one um, and what is it well. called again? Um, ice cream in the cupboard okay yeah look into that. yeah it's 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 mm-hmm. very very well done I think um, mm-hmm. and again it's one of those things that we don't always you know talk about you know there's you know, with any illness, there are things that that we don't like to share, and sometimes it's because we're in denial and we don't really want to think mm-hmm. it's happening. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's really important to have those conversations, people. It really, really is. But I, I get it when you're talking to people that don't have any empathy or compassion or resources for you, or they look like deer in the headlights and they just want to scoot and run from you because they don't know how to help you. Um, that mm-hmm. shuts us down a lot of times, the way people react mm-hmm. and, and makes us feel more isolated. So it's very important um, to to reach out to people like Johanna. On, um, and again, go to her website, um, puzzledmind.org, puzzledmind.org. You can also email her at johanna.johns at puzzlemind.org. 
And then again, you can visit, visit her Facebook page, uh, Puzzled Mind and Body LLC, and her um, you have a, a Facebook support group as well uh, that people mm-hmm. can access. And I think, you know, right now on the radio show, if you're listening from there, I think the link might be screwed up, and I'm going to fix it right after, um, mm-hmm. right after the show ends because I can't edit it right now. But it, I, I think. Uh, I don't know, some extra stuff got added in there for whatever reason and um, isn't connecting. Um, we've got just a few a few more minutes um, regarding uh, the show. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about when people talk about stages of dementia? Does it matter? I mean, there's the different scales, one to three, one to four, one to seven. Um, right. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on all of that? So I think it is important in the sense of how you're going to care for that person um, and what you need to do during that stage. Um, But overall, you're still going to care for the person. So there are the seven stages of dementia, but then you have your early, your moderate, and your severe. So early is typically one to three, and then uh, moderate is four to five, and severe six to seven. But a person can be in three and four at the same time. One day they can be at four, and then the next day they're at three. Um, so in that sense, it doesn't matter because it, it, you're kind of going back and forth. The, the part that matters is during your early stages, you want to make sure you're still promoting their independence. Don't do things for them. That's going to frustrate them more um, and create more stress that's not needed. And don't put any more stress on yourself. Believe me, you're going to have it later. So let them do what they need to do. Um, just make sure that they're safe. Uh, join a, and you want to make sure that you're talking to that person. They might not be ready to do your um, power of attorney or anything like that or think about the financial. you got the durable, uh, durable medical and financial power of attorney. Which ones do they want? Do they have a living will? Um, what do they want later on in life? Uh, do they want to go in a facility? Do they want to be at home? Do they have an agency that they want to work with? There's a lot of things that you have to think about um, in in those beginning stages. Um, In the moderate stage, they're starting to be uh, more cognitively impaired and being able to do less for themselves. So you're going to start to pick up the pieces. When are you going to decide to bring in help? Um, At that point in time, I will already, and you can even start doing this in the beginning stages, but during the moderate stage, you need to focus on I need a support system. I can't do this all by myself. And you got to figure out what that what is that going to be. Is it going to be an adult daycare? Is it family members coming in? Is it caregivers coming in? Um, is it a, resp- a person going to respite or having respite at home, which I didn't even realize that was an option. Um, having respite at home, you leave the house and the person stays at home with your loved one. Um, and, and you're going to be doing more for them. But you're still going to want to make sure that they're eating, they're drinking. You want to care for them um, the same way, and you want to encourage the fluid. Uh, fluid. Um, make sure you're not letting them sleep all day because they might be tired because you got sundowners uh, that happens in the evening time, afternoon time. Um, so you want to see the patterns and keep a daily routine. That's the most important thing. And then um, in the last stages, okay, are you going to bring in hospice? If you are, when are you going to bring them in? What what uh, hospice program you want to use? 
Um, are you going to be comfortable with giving medications? My mom did not, even though my grandfather was not responsive anymore and he was struggling to breathe, she did not want to give him morphine because she thought that that was killing him because she just didn't want to let him go. Um, so when I, I had the hours with him, I would give him the morphine as scheduled, um, but she couldn't do it. Um, so I would do it for him so he wasn't struggling. Um, so you want to make sure, are you okay with giving morphine? If not, who are you okay with giving morphine or what other, uh, uh, um, what other things you want to put in place instead of morphine to make it easier on them? But you want mm-hmm. to make sure that you're, you're already planning everything out because when that time comes, you don't want to be in the middle of like, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be even more stressful because you don't know and now you, you don't have a plan. So it's yeah. very, that, that's the most important things about the stages for me is the planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things uh, I want to mention, too, is you, you had mentioned about giving morphine, but that can come down to who's comfortable making meals, who's comfortable assisting right. somebody in the shower, or doing finances. Right. A lot of times we assign mm-hmm. things to people and they're not comfortable doing them. And if they're not comfortable, the person with dementia is going to feel that and there's going to be an impact yep. on how that job gets done. So it's really, really critical to have an open conversation, which I know sometimes can be difficult. Um, Uh And sometimes we play down, well, you know, you get the easy jobs. Well, you know, (laughs) nothing, nothing is easy. Everybody's squeezing something in, you know, um, Uh in their, in their schedule. And some of us have different relationships, which make getting Uh certain tasks done uh, you know, easier or more difficult, depending on what that relationship is. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing I wanted to add was, you know, during dementia chats where I facilitate a conversation with people living with dementia, we actually had a long conversation, and I can't remember which episode it was, um, but where they talked about, you know, they feel like many of them feel like they go through all seven stages just about every day. But they they yeah. don't want to tell people that they are experiencing these types of symptoms because they don't want them to think, you know, they're in the end zone right now. This is the the end of the mm-hmm. game. It's like because, you know, they say it, our symptoms are so fluid, and depending yeah. on what is happening in our life and how taxing certain things are, like um, one of the things I'm really advocating for right now is getting organizations and and families as well to understand that we have to have some kind of hierarchy and support when people are Mm -hmm. involved to allow them to, you know, let go a little bit because it can, it can take too much out of them. And a lot of times we Mm -hmm. keep adding things because they've always been able to do it well and that's not healthy for them. And so we, we have to have, some supports and some backups and, and know this yeah. is fluid. Um, to yeah. me, that would have been and it, so And it's great when know. you have, and it's great when you have the disagreements, but then are able to listen to each other rather than scream and yell because it, it does torment a family. It really does. Um, my, my grandfather never wanted to talk about what he wanted when he passed away. He just didn't want to hear it. Um, mm-hmm. So it was left for us to make those decisions for him. Um, what he did want that he told us many years ago, there was no way we were going to be able to afford to do it, which was send him back to Puerto Rico. And mm-hmm. there was there was just no way we could afford that. So we were trying to come up with alternatives, and he, he didn't want to talk about death. He didn't want to talk about um, end stage of anything. But he, there was times that he was with it enough that we could have a conversation. 
we decided as family we're just going to do decide on our own what we were going to do and we got him a suit but he wouldn't if we would have told him that it was for um when he passed away he would have never even tried it on so we told him we're going to do family pictures and uh-huh. he, he always wore suits so let's do some pictures and yep. we brought all the grandkids and everybody we all have pictures with him in the suit and this is a suit that we use for his funeral uh-huh. um I'm going to cut you off because we're because we're gonna we're we're gonna the show's gonna cut us off here. So um, thank you so much. You are a wealth of information. Please go to puzzledmind.org for more information and feel free to reach out to Johanna. As you can tell, she is a wealth of information. And don't forget to like, click, and share because there's a lot of other people that you know that need this information as well. We're going to talk on Thursday with the All's Buddies app which will help you as well. So talk soon, everyone. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.